let's take our Bibles this morning to John's Gospel, John 14. Pick it right back up in our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. This began in 2021. Here we are three years later. And God is speaking through this series. The title of the message this morning is Our Promised Helper. Our Promised Helper, the Holy Spirit of God. We as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, believe in the Trinity. Even though you don't find that word in Scripture, Trinity, we see the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit throughout, throughout the New Testament and throughout even the Old Testament. And we believe that they are the part of the triune God. It's one God, but three different parts to Him. And I know there's some debate about this. There's many who, who feel like this is teaching uh, you know, multiple gods, but this is not what we see in Scripture. He, the, the Lord is one God, but the way that he, he manifests Himself is in the three persons of the Godhead. And I want you to just understand that this morning, but this morning the message is going to unveil, or as, as the last message talked about the Father revealed, now Jesus is going to shift gears and speak about the Holy Spirit the promised helper that will come. Let's start reading in John 14 and verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That would be a sermon just in itself, right? (laughs) He goes on, he says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. King James, old King James Version says, comforter that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Let's pray one more time. God, I'm desperately in need of you. God, I pray that you would speak through your word. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate through the Holy Spirit, through your spirit in this place, these truths that are essential for us to walk with you. And God, I ask that you would touch hearts. I pray for anyone under the sound of my voice without Christ today, that they would open their hearts to you. And God, I know that you are going to work in this time. Your word never returns void. And I pray you would do what only you can do. And I ask this in the name above every name, Jesus. Amen. If any of you have ever experienced being abandoned, you understand how that could cause fear in your life moving forward. If you've ever had a parent walk out on you as a child, I remember as as a young man, wrestling with that. Why did my father leave? There was no explanation. 
I mean, literally for me, it was one day he was there, the next day he was not. Maybe you were abandoned by a spouse. Spouse walked out on you after they promised to never forsake you, never to leave you. And abandonment is a real issue in our culture today. And Jesus had just told these disciples up in the, this room, upper room, that he was going to leave them. He told them that he was going to prepare a place for them so that where he is, they will be also one day. He told them not to let their hearts be troubled and that they should uh, have the assurance to believe in him and to trust in him like they trust in God, the Father. And here he continues in this conversation, he continues to bring them assurance that he would be with them through it, even though he would no longer be physically present with them like he had the last three and a half years, very soon. But he would send the promised helper. His Holy Spirit would come and dwell with them. And I want to remind you this morning, if you are saved, if you have called on the name of Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you are never alone. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. You are always within His hands, His care. He will never leave you or forsake you. And Jesus is going to give these men the assurance of His presence through the Holy Spirit's ministry. Before He does that, He's going to take a moment to Speak to them about discipleship. So I want you to see it in verse 15. I want you to see discipleship defined. If there was one verse that you would ask me, what does a disciple look like? This is the one verse I would bring you to. And it comes from the the Lord himself. And he says, if you love me. You see, true discipleship is always motivated by devotion. True love for Jesus Christ will always impact how we live. You cannot divorce the two. And somewhere along the line in American Christianity, we have divorced the two. I meet people all the time, and you too as well, who are living in lifestyles that don't glorify God, but you start to, to witness to them or talk about God. And they say, oh, I love God. I, I really, I love him. You know, I, I, every now and then I, I go to church. Every now and then I listen to uh, Joel Osteen messages. And I, every now and then, you know, I just, I turn on the Christian radio in my car. And every now and then, you know, I might pop up and, you know, go to a service, maybe around Easter or Christmas. And I, 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 I'm, I love God. But our lives speak to something different. Jesus said, if you love me, now, now don't forget who he's talking to. He's talking to the disciples in the upper room, men who had left everything to follow him, right? Who had risked life and limb to follow him. There was a hit out for Jesus' death at this very moment. And they could have been arrested with him. 
So I think these men had a measure of commitment to Christ that few people in our culture ever ascend to. But Jesus is going to look them in the eyes and he's going to say to them, if you love me, if you love me. And this morning, I just want to ask you that question. Do you love Jesus? Is your walk with him motivated by your devotion to him? You remember that hymn, Oh, How I Love Jesus? Because he first loved me. Hey, these men were privileged to even be in the room with Jesus. Let alone Jesus had accepted them. Think about it. These men were fought like you and I. But they were so close. John, in, in John 14, it talks about uh, 13, that he was so close to Jesus at one point, he, could, he had his head near his chest and he could, I can imagine he can hear his heartbeat. He had a, a relationship with God and, and he was close in, in relation to him. And I want you to just get this. Have you thought about it this week? That because God loved you, because he sent Jesus into the world to die for our sin, that we are privileged to have a relationship with him. That we were once alienated from a holy, righteous God. That we were once damned to eternity. To be separated from him in a literal place called hell. But one day he called your name. He called my name. One day the gospel went forth and, and, and we trusted on him and he, he saved our soul and he gave us a new life and he gave us a sure future. He gave us the promise of heaven and he gave us his Holy Spirit to live within us. Oh, how I love Jesus. <laughs> Never get over your salvation. Don't don't ever forget that cross. Like we sing this morning, lead me to the cross. I couldn't help but we, because when we look at the cross, that is God's love on display. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died in our place. He took our place on that cross. That was my cross that he bore. I deserve to be on that cross. You deserve to be on that cross. And yet, Jesus paid it all. If you don't love Jesus, there's something wrong in your heart this morning if you're a believer. Now, if you're not a believer, I'm going to talk about it later. The world it, it does not love God. Jesus said the world hated. If the world hates you, it hated me before. This whole world, the system that is set up in this world, world is anti-Christ. You want to know how it's so? Because they don't even care if you pray uh, to God. They don't care. Listen to me. Why is it that at, at the public meetings and the public squares that they only get upset when you pray in Jesus' name? Because the world hates Jesus. You see, because he's made it very clear that all other gods are false. And that he said it in verse 6 of this chapter, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. 
Discipleship defined, it should be motivated by devotion, but it's demonstrated in obedience. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. I was wrestling with this this week because you and I both know people who live moral lives. Who, by some measure, have lived pretty good lives in a sense. So Jesus here was not promoting legalism. That if you do these things, then God will be pleased with you. He was not exalting morality. You and I know people who do not love God, who do not have a relationship with God, who live pretty moral lives. But what Jesus here is speaking about is devotion to him that would be demonstrated in obedience because you love me. You will walk in my ways. You will keep my commandments. Jesus is concerned with the motive of what we do. The Pharisees, they kept many, many different laws, right? But their hearts were far from Jesus. Their hearts were far from God. They were justified by their works. They felt that they were better than other people. And one of the sure signs of a person who is legalistic is that they look down on other people. They have a, they're on their high horses. Let me tell you, if you walk in here this morning on a high horse, oh, that's a dangerous place to be. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a far fall when you're on your high horse. Hey, not even, no one in this room should be on a high horse this morning. No one in this room deserves to be exalted. No one in this room should think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Because it's only by the grace of God that we are who we are. What Jesus was saying is that when you love me, it's going to be your desire to do what I've asked you to do. You know, it's easy for me when in and out calls my, my stomach <laughs> for me to get in that car and drive to that drive through and get that double-double, you know, because... I love it when it commands me. I go, <laughs> I'm just messed. That's a, that's a poor illustration, but I want you to get this. <laughs> when you love your wife, it's easy to be faithful to her. When you love Jesus, your heart is for him. And you don't want to do anything that's going to disrupt that relationship, that fellowship. Now, we're human. We have sinful nature. We're, we're going to stumble. I don't want to, I'm not preaching perfectionism, but what I'm saying is that when we do sin, we, we will be convicted. We, we will, when we do not obey his commandments, it will impact our lives and, and we will want to come back. We will desire to, to be close to him once again. I'm afraid that many today in the church, our love for Jesus is merely sentimental or emotional. You'll come in here on a Sunday, you'll 
You'll feel the presence of God. You'll, you'll get involved in worship. You'll have that little tingly feeling, you know, you get. And then you'll leave here. And when the feeling and the emotions are worn down, then you go back to a sinful habit. And that's not true love. You see, the world, that's the world's definition of love. However I'm feeling, that's, that's what I'm going to express it, right? Hey, I'll marry you now because right now you make me have the butterflies and the, and the, the rainbow and the, the stars are just so much brighter when I'm with you. But in 10 years, when I don't feel it anymore, when it's rough days and I'm waking up and, I, and you smell my morning breath and, you, you know, it's like <laughs> the bed hair, hair and, and I found out about your, your quirks and your, your, your faults. Now I'm done with that. No, you don't make me feel like you did. So th- isn't this what the world does? When, when it stops being convenient, when it stops uh, fulfilling some felt need in us, then they move on to the next. This is not the love that Jesus is speaking of here. It is good to have passion for God. And I always worry when someone does not have passion for God. But passion isn't where it should end. If our love for God is merely emotional and it does not lead to obedience to his commands, then is that authentic love? I would argue no. See, love is a choice. Jesus demonstrated this love before the disciples. You see, he was calling them to love the way that he loved. You guys remember John 13. What did Jesus do? He, he washed their feet. And he commanded them to wash one another's feet. You see, I've learned this. Look. The love that Jesus called me to and and you to live out as well cannot be manufactured, cannot be something that (laughs) that we do in our own strength. We're going to see in a moment. It has to be through the Holy Spirit of God working through us. He commanded them to love one another. After the pattern of his love in John 13, 34. He commanded them to put their faith in God the Father and in Him as the Son. What Jesus is commanding them to, it is a level of commitment. Uh, It is a level of expression that I can't do on my own. I was thinking about it today, this morning, just meditating on the, the message and how far Many days I've fallen short of this standard. Loving people. Many people in the ministry, many pastors, dare I say, fail in this area when it comes to loving people. They've been placed on a pedestal and they they, they feel like they're God's gift to the church. (laughs) No. No. You know what I am? You know what Pastor Shane is? And I've seen him live this out. You know what we are? We're servants. You see, we wouldn't be worn out if I went to a church in L.A., a large church, 
African-American church, black church. <laughs> I won't name the church, right? But I went there um, just to visit. I wanted to see what was going on. You know, you, every, they had four or five services on a Sunday, and every one of them were packed, you know, and I just wanted to go experience it myself. And I went. The service was fine. But I noticed something. As soon as the pastor finished preaching, his security, one on the right, one on the left, escorted him out of some back door. You never, you didn't see him. You didn't get a chance to shake his hand. <laughs> you didn't get a chance to say, hey, can you pray for this? Um, you, it was like, hi, bye. And I don't believe that's what Jesus has called us to as servant leaders, as the under shepherds. He's called us to be in the trenches with you. And God has really impressed it upon my heart. You know, you know where we really have a chance to influence people? Not just here on the pulpit on Sunday, but when you go in the hospital there and you visit. A few weeks ago, I, I was a family reached out to the church and asked that we would go, that I, I'd go visit their father who's terminal cancer and they'd been watching online. I, they, this man never will step foot in this church but he, he'd been watching online and they just thought well we'll just try to see if maybe you can come by and just pray with him and I could tell that they were surprised that I said yeah and um, I, I'm glad to so I went over there sat with this man he's in his hospice bed and, and um, good man he loved fishing and hunting. He's from Mississippi, and and his his daughter had brought him out here to care for him in his last days. And and uh, I could tell it meant a lot to him. He held my hand the whole time. I just held his hand, talked to him about fishing, asked him about his his largest kill out hunting, and he just lit up. And we just had a moment. I probably won't see him until he's in until I'm in heaven. He's close. And let me tell you, and this isn't just for pastors. This is for you and I the same. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I say it all the time. People need to be loved on. People need us to go into their times of affliction. And I, I want to encourage you, if you love Jesus, listen to me. Listen to this question I was thinking about. Is it possible to love Jesus and not love people? It is impossible. And so this is what Jesus is calling these disciples to, to love each other, to love people, to serve people, to, to give your life, lay down your life if need be for people. This cannot be faked. This cannot be something that you just stumble upon. It has to be the Spirit of God working in our lives. See, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's going to be demonstrated in obedience. I was reminded of this verse in 1 John chapter 4. In verse 20, it says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? You want, a litmus, you want a litmus test this morning of where you are with the Lord? How do you love people? I mean the difficult people. Everybody, we have them in our family. 
Some of them, you're married to that difficult person. (laughs) I don't have that problem. How are you doing? Are you loving the way Christ? Are you serving? Are you washing their feet? Because that is the true test of our hearts for God. We should not bless people who bless us. Jesus said it's easy for us to love those who, who love us, right? It's easy. It's easy for me to love many of you. Most of you, you do love me. You tell me, and I'm, I'm appreciative of that. But how do I treat the, the, those who are more critical? Those who have hurt me? Those who have maligned and lied about me? You know, I've run into them in, in the Walmarts. In the stores, you know, <laughs> and God, you know, he showed me a long time ago that, hey, if you are right with me, you can love your enemy. You can love those who despitefully use and abuse you, who, who drag your name through the mud. Through my spirit, Abram, you can love that person. And I haven't always passed that test, but I'm striving for it. I'm asking the Lord to grow me in this area. I, I want to love like Jesus. I'm far from him, but I want to. It is my heart's desire. I want you guys to all know. I, one of the things I pray is that when you just, even if I have a few moments with you in the prayer room, I try to remember names. I try my best and I, and because I do care, I love you. And I know that, it, that you're precious to Jesus. You're precious to him. I want to tell somebody that this morning. You, you know, Jesus, you are the apple of his eye. He's, he loves you. I mean, not just in a flimsy way. He loves you. And I want to be a conduit of that love. It's him in me. It's not like Paul said, I know that in me dwells no good thing. But the spirit of God is in me and I want him to shine forth. So we see discipleship defined. Jesus said, if you love me, it starts there. It should be motivated through our devotion to him. And it should be demonstrated through our keeping his commandments. And you know what I I was reminded of? (laughs) That his commandments are not grievous. His commandments will always lead us to the path of life. You will be better. Listen to me. When you hate someone, you're not necessarily, you're holding un, you know, unforgiveness and bitterness towards someone. You're not hurting them more than you're hurting yourself. I, I want to help you with this. I got a text from a family member who's holding in unforgiveness towards a family member who harmed them. And asking me what, where my stance is with this family member. And I told them I've forgiven this family member. And I've done my best to, to, to be available if that family member wants a relationship with me. And when I sent that message, there was crickets after it. They didn't want to hear that. They wanted me to join in with the, with the hate and the bitterness and the resentment. 
But I will not by the grace of God. I will not. And I want to encourage you this morning. So we see the promise helper. It starts with discipleship, but I want you to notice with me. Secondly, our helper is described. Jesus is going to give a description of the spirit. Now, the spirit is a person. He's, he's a person. He has been given attributes. He is God, the spirit. And he's not a force like some of the cults will teach. He's not uh, some, in a sense, mystical uh, being. He is God. He is very God in spirit. Look at verse 16. Jesus said, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Another helper. You see, Jesus is given a description in this name that he gives for the Holy Spirit. The Greek word is paraclete. You've heard this word paraclete or parakletos, and, and it means helper. It means a counselor. The, the word gives an idea of someone called to help someone. And it could refer to an advisor, a legal defender, a mediator, or to an intercessor. The King, the King James Version translate the word as comforter, one who would strengthen and console. This is absolutely incredible. What Jesus is saying to these men and what I believe he's, he's telling us again today that even though he would leave them physically, they would not have less help. But in fact, they would have more help because the father would send the Holy Spirit, the helper. And I, I want you to get it again this morning. The Holy Spirit that lives within you and me. He will help you get through whatever it is that you'll face in this life. He will empower your ministry. He will help you be the mom that you've been called to be. He will help you to be the father he's, he, he desires for you to be if we just would allow him to do his work in us. I, I was thinking about it this week again, that God, he started to work in us at salvation, Right? He sealed us with his spirit. I want you to know that this morning. That's why I don't believe that a person can lose their salvation based on what the Bible says. The Bible says that once we believe that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Listen to me. If the seal could come off and come on, what's the, whole, what's the purpose of sealing it? Help me with that. Am I wrong? And I know there's some strong arguments for other viewpoints of that, but I personally see a lot more evidence for the eternal security of a believer. You know, once someone is born, you can't be unborn. My kids are all born. They're my kids, whether they're acting a fool that day or not. They're still my kid. Right? <laughs> I already talk about them, but <sighs> I won't. I won't this time. Because there's a plethora of, of examples I can share. I'll share one, but anyway, so, okay. No, no I, won't, I won't. Maybe, maybe later. But let's stay focused. I'm going long. 
I said, today I'm going to preach 30 minutes. I think we're already at an hour. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, Lord, this is your, this is your house. So the, the Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit will come alongside of us. Jesus is going to speak about this, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want you to see it. When he says another helper, the word there in the Greek, it, it emphasizes the meaning of another, but of the same kind. So as Jesus had been with them for three and a half years and been their helper, when they couldn't cast out devils, they go to Jesus. When they're on the sea in the storm, they go to Jesus. When they were hungry, they go to Jesus. When they weren't alert, they went to Jesus, right? And so what he is saying to them is, I'm going to send another helper like me. But it gets better. Listen to me. He will be in you forever. I want you to get this. Look what he says in verse 16. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Forever. He will never leave you. He will never leave us. He indwells us. As I mentioned a moment ago, the Holy Spirit is in you. The Bible says, if, if, but you are not in the flesh, Romans 8, 9, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his or he is not his. The way that you are assured that you are his is through the Spirit in your life. Has the Spirit bore witness with the fact that you are His? If there's no evidence, if there's no witness, I want to encourage you today to settle it. Get your salvation shirt. Because if you are in Christ, you will have the Holy Spirit. He indwells believers. But not only does He indwell believers, He's, in, he's going to inform us. Look at verse 17. The Bible says, the spirit of truth. Jesus says he's the spirit of truth. He is going to teach us all things. We're going to see later on. Jesus is going to spend a, a good time just talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is that he will be the spirit of truth. He will teach us. He will guide us. He will show us what we need to know. Aren't you thankful that we don't have to be blown by every wind of doctrine? Don't, aren't you thankful that we don't have to live under the lies of this world? Aren't you thankful that we have the spirit of truth within us and the spirit will say, uh-uh, that's not true. A man can't become a woman. Spirit of truth will say, hey, <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't be here. The spirit of truth will lead you into all truth. Jesus is the truth. There's the word of God, which is God's truth and the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. They will all testify. And the spirit of truth will never lead you against the word of God. And the spirit of truth will always lead you to exalt Jesus Christ. You want to know how I know when someone is not regenerate, when they're not saved? A lot of times, even though they may be a part of a, some church, 
They'll, they'll have a different view of Jesus. They'll teach a, just a slightly different variation of Jesus. Jesus was a man who became a God. No, my Bible says that Jesus was God who became man. I, I want you to get this. I, this is why we say, oh, even though we love our brothers up the street, even though we, we love those who may you know, try to be moral. And you find this to be true with a lot of people who are in false religions, that they're very moral. Many of them are very kind, more kind than some Christians I know, which shouldn't be the case. (laughs) But their morality doesn't change the fact that they've fashioned some other Jesus in that belief system. I had a lady ask me in a prayer room. She, she had a couple missionaries coming to her home and having Bible studies with her. And she's a new believer. She's been coming here. And she asked me, what should I do? Um, I've been here. I've been saved. And, and, you know, God is working in my life. But I don't want to be mean to these, these, these ladies who are coming with this Bible study from this different church. And I said to her, well, you can kindly say, oh, I won't be, I won't be needing... Um, to meet with you guys any longer. I have a church. I'm fine. You know, just be, be, be nice to them. I, I told her, you know what I'm thinking in my mind, not to be mean to those people, but the Bible says this, that if any man or any, even an angel were to come and preach another gospel or another Jesus, let him be accursed. You know what that means? Separated from God. And it says, do not bid them Godspeed. That means that you don't say, oh, be blessed on your way. No. What it means is you just pretty much say, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be rude, but I, some of you are like, yeah, next time the Jehovah Witnesses come to my house, <laughs> Pastor, you just gave me some ammunition. I'm going to, I'm going to rip them. A, no, no. But don't say, have a good day. Go, go, go try to lead my neighbor to, to hell. Don't do that. I, I remember in L.A., a few of them would come by the house, and, and I would hold them up as long as I could. I wouldn't tell them I'm a pastor. I would let them talk, let them get all their things out, and then I start asking some questions, and I fashion these questions to, to, to not be, you know, to be open-ended questions. <laughs> So they, I would try to hold them up because once they once you see them when they're walking, some of these groups, they walk really slow, right? Because they, they're on a time clock. I, I want to get done. I'm going to do my time, but I really don't want to be out here. I'm, but I'm trying to earn my my heaven in in uh, Apple Valley or <laughs> I'm because they believe that this earth is going to be heaven. And, and you see them. And so I would try to hold them up as long as I could. And they, they begin to, to get onto my, my game and they stopped coming for a while. <laughs> Anyhow, I don't know how I got on a rabbit trail, but the spirit of truth, he will inform us. He will teach us everything that we need to know. You guys know there are people with PhDs who aren't wise. There are people with who are getting educated up to the yin yang, but they don't, they don't know the basic things. 
of truth and what is right and wrong. And this is why in the believer it should not be the case because the Spirit will lead us into all truth. He indwells believers, he informs believers, and he is invisible to the world. He's invisible to the world. The Bible says that Jesus says to them, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. The natural man does not receive the things of the spirit, the Bible says, because it neither sees him. He's invisible to them, even though he is always working in the world, right? Right now, I can't see the Wi-Fi that's getting out this feed to to hundreds, maybe thousands of people, but it's working, right? We can't see it, but it's working, right? Hopefully, sometimes it doesn't work out here. Well, for the, the unbeliever, he or she cannot understand the things of the Spirit. It's a, he's invisible to them. And so you wonder why your lost coworkers don't understand why you live the way you live or the decisions that you make and the, the, the reason you're in church this morning because they are blind to it. They cannot receive the Spirit. They don't see Him or they don't know Him, Jesus says. But He says, but you, but we as believers, you know Him for He dwells with you. Now at this time, the Spirit had not yet permanently indwelled these apostles. You understand that it would come later. Literally, I believe the day was the day of Pentecost in the upper room when the Spirit came down. And some argue uh, there's, there's a place in John later on where Jesus breathed on him and they, they say, he says, it says, the Bible says, they received the Spirit. So that, that may be be the point too. So I'm not going to say this with all assurance that that was the point or when the point was, but follow me if you will. They would one day be permanently indwelled with the Holy Spirit like you and I. You notice that in the Old Testament, the Bible says that the Spirit came upon David, but then the Spirit would leave. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson one more time when he took out all the Philistines in that gathering place. But the Spirit would dwell in the New Testament church, in believers in the New Testament church, permanently. And Jesus is confirming this. He's confirming this. And I want to just say a few things about the Holy Spirit and, and, and then we'll move on. If we desire to see the Holy Spirit work in our lives. The key to that is that we must seek to glorify Christ. Listen to me. Jesus glorified the Father. The Spirit glorifies the Son. It's a beautiful it's a beautiful picture here, okay? The Holy Spirit would emphasize Christ. And um, so if you want to see more of the Holy Spirit in your life, and, and if I want to see more of the Holy Spirit in my life, then I must be careful to glorify Christ, to exalt Christ, to be humble, and let Christ live in and through me. And, um, and we must take attention to the Word of God. You know, the Word of God was inspired by the Spirit of God. You get this? 
holy, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Spirit of God. This isn't a man book. This isn't a man-made book like a lot of people will argue with you. This is God's Word. It was breathed through these vessels, these men, holy men of God. And I want you to understand this, that God only uses holy men of God to do certain things. Holy women of God. And I want to encourage us to live lives that are holy before God. Because why? Sin in my life and in your life, it grieves the Holy Spirit. You want to throw, have you ever been in a campfire and someone just took a bucket of water and just quenches it? That's what sin does to our walk with the Lord. It quenches the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 and verse 30, and I, and he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Quench not the Spirit of God, the Bible says. And I want to encourage us, church family, let's desire to live a, a life that is acceptable, holy and acceptable unto God. Is, your, is my life, is your life, are we set apart for God's use? Do we take careful attention to our personal holiness? Okay? Now, I, this is what deters many people from seeing the fullness of the Spirit. It's, it's simply this, that we quench the Spirit. We grieve the Spirit. And if God points out something to you in you, that needs to be repented of, I want to encourage you to do so. Jesus, he goes on and he says to them in verse 18, and we'll be done. He says, and I will not leave you orphans. You remember what I began with this morning? This issue of abandonment. Jesus promises to his children, he will not leave them orphans. He will never abandon them. Spurgeon said, there are several ways that a follower of Jesus are not like orphans. An orphan has parents who are dead. The Spirit shows us Jesus is alive. That really hit me. The reason why the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, is just so reassuring in my life and in your life is because it, remind, it, it, it proves tangibly that Jesus is alive. We don't just have to lean on the historical truth of the Word of God. I can say, I know He lives in me. I know Jesus is alive. I've ex I experienced Him this morning. I was talking to someone this week, and we we're talking about how, you know, God is softening our hearts. And I told him, like, over the last three, four years of God radically changing my life, I've cried more in these, I did it this morning again. I've cried more times in those four years than I did my entire life. Maybe my mom would say different. She remembers when I was a kid, but, but my adult life anyway. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, it's beyond my control. I don't want to cry, but the spirit starts moving in my heart. I can't hold it back. And once again, God confirms that there's, a, there's someone in me that is not 
my flesh, that it's not me. It's him. It's him who tells me when I grieved him, <laughs> when, I've, when I need to go apologize to my wife. When I, it's him. It's not me because me and my stubborn nature, mm, <laughs> no. So I, I want you to get this. The, an orphan's parents are dead, but our Father, our Lord, Jesus is alive. Amen. <laughs> An orphan is left alone, but the Spirit draws us close to God's presence. An orphan is left without instruction, but the Spirit teaches us all things. An orphan has no defender, but the Spirit is our protector. I want you to understand this this morning. We aren't alone. Jesus said, I will come to you. Some say, some of the commentaries that I read said he's it was speaking about when he would, he would resurrect from the dead and he'd come to them again. And that may be the case, but I believe he's also speaking about the spirit that will remain with them. I will come to you. I won't leave you ever. I've seen the spirit of God at work in believer's life. I've seen it on the deathbed. I've seen, the, I've seen someone who is hours away from eternity have the joy of the Lord. That's the Spirit's work. I've, I've seen the Spirit do things that it's supernatural. It is, it, it is not that person. It is not, many times, if you ask me what I said here over the last hour, I wouldn't, I won't remember because the Spirit, I'm utterly dependent upon the Spirit to lead me. And I want you to live in me tomorrow. When the emotions wear off, when the thrill of being in a service like this, dynamic service like this, when it all wears off, listen for that still small voice still. Say, Holy Spirit, lead me today. Holy Spirit, have your way with me. Holy Spirit, I need you. I cannot be the person that I'm supposed to be apart from you. I cannot love like you've called me to love without your help. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have the Holy Spirit, but then you've never been saved. I want to encourage you today to give your heart to the Lord Jesus. He's given you everything. He, he's, he died and he shed his blood. We talked about it this morning where he shed his blood at that cross for your redemption and for my redemption. And what he requires for someone to be added to his family is for repentance, to, to turn to him and say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've, I've gone astray. And Lord, I'm coming to you and I'm asking for you to take my sin. I'm asking for you to apply your blood to my account. I'm asking for you to save my soul. I'm asking for you to get me to heaven. And I'm only depending on you and you alone to get me there. The moment a heart cries out, something like that, God hears it and he saves you. I, I, well, some of my, my favorite Bible word is saved. Saved. 
saved? Are you saved this morning? Do you have the witness of the Holy Spirit? 